Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome back to the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. I'm Dan Newman. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my brother, Andrew Newman. We'll get to him in a second. I Before we start, just want to Encourage you all, as always, to uh, give us a follow, give us a rate uh, on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can also contact us at helloldsports at gmail.com if you want to tell us what you like about the show, what you don't like, suggestions for future episodes, you name it. You can also um, find us on Facebook, Hello Old Sports Podcast, if you want to Join the community uh, of and uh, of the Hello Old Sports podcast on Facebook. We'll tell you when we're putting out new episodes and all that fun kind of stuff. And uh, as I mentioned, I am joined as always by my co-host Andrew Newman. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dan. Um, it's the first episode we've recorded in a lot, little while, and and kind of even longer than that since we recorded an episode just you and I. Um, Actually, this will be probably split over two episodes, what we're going to record tonight. But, uh, you know, with vacations and things like that, we're recording this right in the middle of July. So, um, you know, lots of uh, lots of other things going on. So it's good to be able to sit down and um, spend some time talking about what really matters. (laughs) So in this episode, we this is the third in a series of six episodes that we've recorded or we will record and post throughout the baseball season. And what we do is we pick a different uh, baseball division for each episode and come up with a starting nine for all five of those teams. Um, And, you know, every position player, a pitcher, just one pitcher, no DH, just nine players. And then at the end of each episode, we sort of rank each one, one to five. We've already done the national league central and the best team there was the St. Louis Cardinals. And we did the, American League West and the best team, according to us there, unsurprisingly, was the Oakland Athletics, because that's the only franchise in the American League West that's been around uh, that was around prior to the 1960s. So in this episode, we are going to turn our gaze to the East and specifically to the National League East. And we're going to talk about the New York Mets, the Atlanta Braves, the Philadelphia Phillies. The Washington Nationals, who at one time were the Montreal Expos, and the Florida Marlins. So we've got a couple of teams that go all the way back to the 19th century, 1870s, 1880s. And then we have a few that came into being in the 60s and a few that came into being uh, much recently in the mid-1990s. So an eclectic mix uh, in the National League East that we're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah, so and that's just a point to hammer home. And as we talk about each of these teams that have anything more than the obvious history, we'll uh, we'll touch on, you know, we'll explain 
what what their franchise lineage goes back to because we're not doing this based on current teams we're doing this based on franchises so like you mentioned the the nationals have all of the expos franchise history the braves as you would imagine have the milwaukee braves history they have the boston braves history um and the mets have the um the 1890s mets history i believe i don't think we're going to do that i think we're just going to use sort of the the lineal the lineal history of the franchises we're not going to use. So we didn't do basically be from right when the, the franchise began and then any iterations there've been of it. Yes, that's, I was joking. Yes. That's, that's the only way to do these things. So, so the way this works is uh, we sort of go back and forth. We pick a team and I'll, I'll give my starting nine and then we'll pick another team and Andrew will give his starting nine and we'll just go back and forth. Um, with the five, we'll you know we'll we'll see if we can come to a consensus on all of them. Then at the end, we'll rank them one to five. And uh, Andrew, did you um, did you want to go first tonight with the National League East? Sure. And let me just say, I used baseball. I used a few different sources. Baseball Reference obviously goes without saying, using their stats and all time things. Baseball Egg. Although it's a few years old at this point, they did a uh, website, baseballegg.com. They did an all-time team for every franchise, kind of similar to what we're doing. Um, And then there was a, somebody did it on Yahoo a few years ago. And I leaned on that a little because it, some of them, he would explain like if it was close, although those were annoying. And if you're going to do it and then put artificial time constraints on it, just say, that's what you're doing. Just say like he had a few times where he'd be like, well, normally I won't go with a pre-integration guy unless he's an all-time great. And it's like, then say you're doing it post-1947. There's no harm in that. Say I'm doing an all-time team post-1947, or I'm doing an all-time team post-dead ball era or whatever. Don't say you're doing all-time things so you can put Babe Ruth in there, but then be like, well, I forget who the guy he used as an example was, but it was like, it was a guy who even said like, oh, he's an all-time great, but like, I'm still not going to go with him because of the era he played in. It's like just you're this not condoning would, segregation by picking a guy from the 30s. You know what I mean? Like, and this was on Yahoo. I think it was Yahoo. Yeah, I mean he did a good job with what he was doing, but yeah, I mean, the, and the whole thing about the integration thing, and don't want to get up on too much of a tirade, but everybody says, well, I'm not going to pick anybody pre 1947. Well, only Jackie Robinson, maybe one or other two other guys, came to the league in 1947. Jackie Robinson, for the first couple of years of his career, didn't compete against any other black players. So are we going to discount the first couple of years of Jackie Robinson? You know, when were the major leagues truly integrated? And you can say that about some of these other things. The only place where it might make sense to draw the line a little bit is 1900, because that's sort of that was when the current format not there has not been a team that came into organized baseball, you know, Major League Baseball. American National League since 1900 that has gone out of it's has that has gone defunct. You can you can trace every team every team that was there in 1900 can be traced to a present day teams and the, you know the rules were different at times in the 19th century distance to the mound pitching uh, what was allowed as a pitching motion. So even though we don't do it here because frankly it's just more fun to throw in a couple of 19th century guys. I can understand a little bit drawing the line at 1900 everywhere else. It's more that you're trying to make some sort of a a statement. You're not necessarily evaluating on an objective plane. So we go all the way back. 
I can understand going back to 1900, but anything like that. And like, like you said, if you're going to go into that type of thing, well, I'm not going to pick anybody from, you know, the, the post pre-war pre-integration days, then you can't pick Babe Ruth. You, you can't say, well, I'll make an exception for this guy. So I think the way we do it is the right way. I agree. Um, I just want to point out that you, uh, I, I had an opportunity. I really wanted to make a joke there because you said, I don't want to go into a tirade about integration. <laughs> <laughs> I just paused so it would be easier to edit that out. So, uh, you know, there's a few that are tempting to start with. There's one that's very tempting to not start with. I'll kind of play this in the middle and I'll start uh, locally, at least for me at the moment and go with the New York Metropolitans Uh, came into the league in 1962, filling the national league void uh, left when the Dodgers and giants moved to California. Couple of good errors. Um, I got to be honest, this team is a little weaker than I was expecting it to be. Um, So I'll give you mine and then we can, we can go over some stuff here. Catcher Mike Piazza, first baseman Keith Hernandez, second baseman Edgardo Alfonso, shortstop Jose Reyes, third baseman David Wright, outfield Strawberry, Carlos Beltran, Mookie Wilson, and then uh, the pitcher, I had Tom Seaver, closer with Seaver and DeGrom than you probably would have thought, but I, I did go with Seaver. So we are in complete agreement on this. Oh, really? We are. Yeah. So just a couple of notes. The middle infield is a little weak because neither Jose Reyes or Edgardo Alfonso spent a ton of time with the team, at least comparatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Alfonso was sort of second base mid 90s to early 2000s. He was the starting second baseman. And kind of in a lot of ways, either he and Robin Ventura were like the next two offensive threats on those Bobby Valentine met teams behind Mike Piazza. And then Jose Reyes Reyes, when he first came up with the Mets and, and I'm going to find the exact stats um, in a second here, he was considered a little bit sort of a, of a phenom and I, I, there were injury issues and he never just really never really completely lived up to his hype at shortstop. For the Mets, let me just take a look at his pull up his exact. Uh, he did win a batting title with them for a little while. As I was looking, I was trying to see if I could shoehorn somebody else from the '69 team in there. This SNY one I'm looking at right now has Cleon Jones in at left field, and then Beltron and Strawberry. So instead of Mookie Wilson, they have Cleon Jones. But I don't know. I I just feel like that's more of. That would be doing what I was at least for a moment entertaining doing was, which was to just kind of shoehorn somebody from the 69 team in, even where they really didn't deserve it. And then the other one that I think was very um, close was, well, and this is where that baseball egg one was a little annoying is because they used a DH for everything. So -hmm. they didn't have to decide between Mike Piazza and Gary Carter, but you know, as beloved as Gary Carter was, and you know, he was a captain and all that. Mike Piazza was in the prime of his career when he was a Met and was there for a long time. I think it has to be Piazza over Gary Carter. So obviously this doesn't take defense into account, but Piazza, eight years with the team, 296 average, 220 home runs. Gary Carter, 
five years with the team, 249, 80 home run, 89 home runs. So basically like a little more than a third. Um, it It is definitely Piazza was better offensively. I do want to see Gary Carter because I Piazza was never a gold glover. Did no I, Piazza was, a, a you know, he was an OK. He had no arm. He wasn't as horrendous in terms of like. I think he was okay working with pitchers and, you know, it wasn't like Gary Sanchez a few years ago with the Yankees where the ball was constantly rolling to the backstop, but I don't think he was by any stretch, any kind of good defensive catcher. And he was decent at blocking the plate and that type of thing. They always used to say Mm -hmm. that people would think he was a bad defensive catcher because his arm was so terrible, but really he was a, he was an all right defensive catcher, except for the fact that his arm was so terrible. Gary Carter won three gold gloves in a row earlier in his career with Montreal, but never won any with the Mets. So defense is not the strong suit for either one of them. Carter's putting up seasons with the Mets of um, he actually led the RBI Mets, the NL and RBIs in 1984, the year before he came to the Mets, but 100 105 and then uh by the by 87 he's down to 83 and then he's sort of um he sort of trails off a little bit after that in the in the rbi department let me see what piazza's rbi numbers were my guess is he's putting up in probably the 120s 130s well not quite that high but still 124 113 couple season in the 90s 111 rbis in his first season with the mets that year that he plays half the season with the Dodgers a week with the Marlins and then the rest of the season with the Mets. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, Reyes, Reyes also, I just looked and saw he led the league in steals in three years in a row. So he, he put up some solid numbers. I think it said it was a four time all-star Beltran, I think gets underrated a little bit because first of all, he never really won anything with the Mets. They had that one world series, that they made, or I'm sorry, they had that one mm. play, they had that one playoffs that they made in 2006, lost in seven to the Cardinals, a much weaker Cardinal team. That Cardinal team that year was like something like 83 and 79, and the Mets were a, a mid 90s win team. And the most enduring image, well, the the one of the enduring image was that uh, who was that outfielder, Andy Chavez, that made the. I think it was Andy Chavez, yeah. But then, so that's one of the most enduring images. He made his crazy catch at the wall. But then also, Beltran was frozen on a, I think it was a 3-2 pitch uh, by Adam Wainwright to strike out to lose the ALCS. So, and then after that, he, he was he was a good, very good player for the Mets for, for, I think, you know, seven, eight more years. But they never did anything. They blew a couple of pennants in the September in 2007 and 2008. And so this up and coming Mets team that everybody was talking about at the end of 2006, never really did anything else. Beltran seven years with the Mets, 280 average, 149 home runs, steals a hundred bases. And uh, let me, I don't know how many, uh, five time all-stars, three gold gloves, you know, double digit or I'm sorry, triple digit RBI seasons, a couple of years. So, I really, I think you got to have Beltran on there. Mookie, go ahead. I'm sorry. With Beltran, and I know we're not technically supposed to do this, but do you factor in at all consciously or subconsciously his time as the manager? (laughs) Yeah. What was that? 
what they hire him and then fire him like three weeks later because of the I think it was like a month or two, but yeah, he was hired in the off season of 2019. Yeah, it was about two months, it looks like. So yeah, because everybody forgets because all the, the COVID outbreak happened after that. But that was the biggest story in sports and in a lot of ways, like one of the biggest stories in the country for basically all of February 2020 was this, you know, the, the garbage cans with the Astros and Beltran had been on that team. It actually won the championship with the that won the World Series with that team in 2017. But mm-hmm. it kind of been sort of a, a half coach, half half role player role. But no, I, I do not count that against him uh, or for him, for that matter. And then there were some other guys you could look at. Cleon Jones, like you said, is is sort of the one that maybe stands out the most. Um, I, I did go with Mookie. Um, not that war is the be all end all, but 10 years, 20.7 war for Mookie. 12 years, 18.1 for Cleon Jones. Um he did make he made one all-star team I, I don't think that Mookie ever made an all-star team with the Mets maybe there's a little bit of sort of subconscious uh leaning towards Mookie because of the fact that that he was the batter for the most famous moment in Mets history but I, I did go with Mookie and obviously, that would have been part of the reason people wanted to put Cleon Jones in there would have been for the same reason. He was on the 69 Mets and he made the catch to end the, the game five when they beat Baltimore. The other is there's really no contest. Keith Hernandez, Daryl obviously belongs on there. David Wright was Mr. Met for a decade and a half. And Tom Seaver, I understand what you're saying about DeGrom, but to me, it's no contest. I mean, Seaver's the, he is the all time. You cannot have a Mets all time team without Tom Seaver. No, certainly. I mean, if, if DeGrom had stayed with the Mets and pitched another five years at that level, it would be more of a discussion, but yeah, you're right. It's Seaver. Yeah. And they made the right move in cutting bait. It sounds like, cause his career may damn well be over. It is. And it is interesting. The only other thing I would note before we leave the Mets, it's interesting that, Seaver aside at the position player level, you got two, you got one Hall of Famer on the whole team. And then the second Hall of Famer that would potentially be on there is Carter. And he doesn't make it on because he plays the same position as the first. So, yeah, this is a place where maybe having a DH would do some good. You move Carter behind the plate because he's better defensively. And then you make Piazza the DH. But. Putting aside the fact that it's the Mets and they've never had a DH until two years ago, to me, that's a cop out for a thing like this. You know oh, what I mean? T- totally, totally. Yeah. So what's the point? The whole point is to try to, you know, to argue about these things. So and when we get to one in this division, we're going to have a real tough time, but we'll get to that in a little while. I actually don't know what you're talking about, but uh, we'll we'll take that up when it comes. So real quick, our Mets lineup. Mike Piazza, Keith Hernandez, Edgardo Alfonso, David Wright, Jose Reyes, Daryl Strawberry, Carlos Beltran, Mookie Wilson, and Tom Seaver. All right, so I think I'll you, you stayed close to where you live right now, um, and I'm going to stay close to close to where I live, and I'm going to go with the the Washington Nationals, who prior to 2005 were the Montreal Expos, and here is what I came up with. The catcher is the aforementioned Gary Carter, who played the first part of his career with the Expos before he went to New York in 1985. First baseman, uh, the only number that the Astros have ever, re- I'm sorry, that the Nationals have ever retired in Ryan Zimmerman. 
Second base, Jose Vidro. Third base, Anthony Rendon, star of the 2019 team. Shortstop, Trey Turner, another star of the 2019 team. And then the outfield, I went with two Expos, Tim Raines and Andre Dawson. Third outfielder is the Bryce Harper, who left the team right before they won a championship. And at pitcher, I went with uh, future Hall of Famer Max Scherzer. He'll go in as a net. Um, <laughs> so we are almost entirely in agreement. It was funny because Zimmerman originally, before I had filled out the team, I had him in as a third baseman, but you can make the case for him in either place. See, he's one where probably his best years were at third, but I don't get that particular with it. As long as the guy played a decent chunk of his career in both, you know what I mean? And um, he played first base for for the championship team and for for mo- he actually went to the outfield for a little while too in between third and first he played a couple seasons as a regular outfielder but yeah he played enough at first that you can absolutely consider him a first baseman so i did go with guerrero over bryce harper in the outfield um i think it's close did harper he he only won an mvp with the phillies right no, he won one if, with with the Nats too. I think it was like fifteen. I want to say, okay. And I just I look and Guerrero was an MVP his first year with the Angels, so that doesn't count. But Guerrero did finish sixth in the MVP, eleventh in the MVP, thirteenth in the MVP, twenty fourth, fourth. So he had a bunch of top five finishes with Montreal. You know some of these power numbers here, and again, I'll I'll factor in that it was a power era, but. Starting in 98, 38-109, 42-131, 44-123, 34-108, and 39-111 before 25-79 and 79 in his last year with Montreal. He also managed to bat well over 300 a few times. He had a 345 average in 2000, 336 in 2002, 330 in 2003, in addition to being a pretty good fielder and having a really good arm. Um, he won the Silver Slugger three times in uh, in Montreal in four years. So I know Harper was really good. I think it's close. Yeah, and honestly, the more I look at this, the more I wonder, is it really, is he the one we want to leave off? I mean, let, look, let me look at Reigns, because Reigns obviously stole a lot of bases, but I don't know. And while you're looking, let me, we're just going three outfielders. We're not getting overly particular with left field, center field, right field. That just you you have to do what feels right to you in these. I don't mean right like morally. I just mean right like for doing these things. So for us, it just I don't know. It feels fine to for outfield to use them a little more interchangeably than infielders. This is really tough. This is a really tough one. Oh, man. This is really, really hard. So um, are we saying three te- three guys for two spots between Guerrero, Harper, and Reigns? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Dawson is the best. Uh, but then again, the only one who ever won an MVP award is Bryce Harper. So why is he? Yeah, and how many years did Harper end up playing? I think he, pl- he played eight and Dawson played eight. Or I'm sorry, uh, Guerrero played eight. 
let me let me pull up Harper's stats here. Give me uh can you pull up Vlad's stats? Yeah, I still have them up. Okay. So 97 to 02 we're talking about really or 03. He only played 6 games in 90 or 9 games in 96, so that really doesn't count. All right. So 7 years with Washington for Bryce Harper. Seven in Montreal for uh, for Guerrero. What what's Vlad's average? Just in Montreal, yeah. Oh, it has. Yeah, it has at the bottom. Three twenty three. Harper's two seventy nine. How many home runs? Two hundred and thirty four. One eighty four for Harper, and then RBIs. Seven oh two. 521. And then what about war? That's probably a next. That's probably the next grid down. Here's the question I always have with that, though. What? What is it good for? <laughs> um, where would the war be? You know, know advance. I never. I, mind. It, I, I, I see it. It's 34.6, right? Uh, That doesn't seem to be broken down by team. I think I'd have to go to the. No, it's it's there. It's under player value batting. Oh, I see. I see. I skipped one. Um. Yeah, this would be good for me to find just for the future. Uh, 34.7. Okay. And see, but I just, I can't not have Bryce Harper on the team. And maybe this is a little bit because of living here and knowing what he meant. But also, I mean, he brought them to the playoffs 2012, 2014, 2016, 2017. He was the leader of some really good teams. I'm pulling up Reigns' war here from Montreal. In parts of 13 seasons, his war was 49.1. Yeah, and Dawson was about the same. Ah, man. Huh. This is tough. I'm going to say, and this is what I did, so it's not like this is some earth-shattering. I'm going to say it's a very close call, but we leave Vlad off because... He didn't. It's it's really hard, but because of what Harper meant to the current franchise, mm. that maybe he gets the very, very, very slight edge. I think that's fair. I think that's definitely a. Um, we. I don't think anybody can accuse us of uh, glossing over anybody there with that deliberation. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate one of them gets left off and. A guy like Jose Vidro, who had a nice career, but, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I think you definitely make a good case there. And it's just funny as a Nats fan to think that, you know, if you'd asked me eight or nine years ago, even when Scherzer was already on the team, who that guy would be one day, everybody would have said Steven Strasburg. Sure. But Strasburg has had some flashes of brilliance. He was MVP of the World Series, the only World Series they've won and the only one they're probably going to win for a very long time. But day in, day out, Scherzer was the better pitcher. Scherzer's going to the Hall of Fame. He's probably going into the Hall of Fame as a Nat. And so that's that is definitely the best pitcher in the history of the Expos Nationals franchise. Let me just sort of real quick. Um, so back to back Cy Young's 2016 and 2017. And then he was second in the Cy Young voting in 18. He was second. He was third in 2019. 
leads all of baseball. I'm sorry, leads the National League in strikeouts three years in a row, 16 to 18. And, and in 16, 17 and 18, in 16 and 18, he leads all uh, all of the major leagues in strikeouts, wins um, first first four years with the team. He wins 14, 20, 16 and 18. Two of those lead the league. And this may be in this day and age is the most impressive stat starts from his, from his first year with the Nats, 2015, 34, 31, 33, 27, and then 12 in 2020, which what it was at a six, a, a 60 game season. So that's basically every game. So he basically barely missed a start in his entire year with the team. So, and he was a leader. He was a leader on the field. He was a leader off the field. So, Unless you have anything else you want to analyze there, I think I'm pretty comfortable with where we ended up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Scherzer is pretty definitively the guy there. So it's just a question of shaking out the outfield and, you know, honestly, all four are deserving. But I think where we ended up makes sense. So we've got four guys out of nine from the 19 Nationals Championship. And then we have three more guys from the the really good Expo teams of the early 80s. The only other time the franchise had made the playoffs before they moved to D.C. in the or moved, yeah, moved to D.C. in the 21st century. So catcher Gary Carter, Brian Zimmerman, Jose Vidro, Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner, Tim Raines, Andre Dawson, Bryce Harper, Max Scherzer. I got to say, it's a pretty good team. Yeah. And to be honest, the one guy who didn't fit in either of those buckets you just mentioned is kind of a neat. He played for both teams. He's the only one who played for both teams in Jose Vidro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he was he was on the Nationals their first two years in uh, in D.C. after, you know, playing most of his career in Montreal. So just kind of a nice bridge there. Well, and you figure two, five of those guys are probably going to be Hall of Famers. Three already are Carter, Reigns and Dawson. And then mm-hmm. Scherzer's definitely going and Harper's definitely going. So you got five Hall of Famers on that team for a franchise that has had a lot of crappy eras in its 50 some oh, yeah. years in, in existence. So absolutely. All right. So two down, three to go. And it is up to you to go next. All right. Let me swallow the pill here and go with the Marlins. It might get a little confusing here, depending on how you want to count certain guys. But so here's what I give you. Charles Johnson at catcher, Jeff Conine at first, Luis Castillo at second, Hanley Ramirez at short. I have Miguel Cabrera at third base. And then my outfield is Giancarlo Stanton, Gary Sheffield, Christian Yelich. And then I have Dontrell Willis as the pitcher. All right, so let's talk about where we agree. I had mm-hmm. Castillo. He, n- nobody's idea of of a legend, but he he had some good years with the Marlins. I think he had a, how long was that hitting streak that he had? Didn't he have like a 30 some odd game hitting streak right. at one point of his career? I think it was one that, um, I think it was one that like lasted like from one season to another. Um, bu- 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 um where is it? In 2002, we no, had... 2035 and 2002. I think the one you're thinking of is Jimmy Rollins, who had who's kind of straddled two seasons. I think you're right about that. Uh, but yeah, 35 games, that's, you know, significant. So I had him 
I did have Miguel Cabrera, who obviously, you know, still in baseball 20 years later, came up with the Marlins and played with them for a couple of years. He was a rookie on the 2003, the, the World Series team that beat the Yankees. Five years, uh, 18.3 war, 138 home runs, which which isn't bad. And all-star for four seasons. And um, yeah, one one is only World Series at 20. Played in a couple more with the Tigers, but one is only World Series in um, in 2003 in his rookie year. He was sort of the slight nod over Mike Lowell. I did have Hanley Ramirez at shortstop. Again, it was one of those situations where there just wasn't really anywhere else to go. I had Stanton. I did have Yelich. I had forgotten that Yelich was even on the Marlins until I looked at it um, when I was when I was putting this together a couple of days ago. And I did have Dontra Willis at at pitcher. That was another one. Uh, the only other one that I sort of seriously considered was Alex Fernandez, the pitcher who pitched for them for four years and then passed away. And it's funny, actually, it, it's a little bit morbid to talk about, but I I always associate him. He actually died the, the weekend of my wedding. We were up in Massachusetts, and I remember talking to some of my friends and groomsmen and everything. We were like, did you see this 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 pitcher for the, for the Marlins? I think it was a boating accident that he died in. Yeah, he it was a boating accident. I believe it came out subsequently that he was under the influence. But yeah, it was a, a tragic boating accident. Jose Fernandez. What did I say? I said Alex Fernandez. I'm sorry. So those were my points of agreement. Let Can me, I let just me... on, on Fernandez real quick? Because there was a few ones you could. At first, I was wondering if I was going with Willis just from what non, you know, from like a showy standpoint. Jose Fernandez, and obviously his career was cut short by, you know, his untimely death, but he was on the Marlins for four years. In 2013 and 2016, he was very, very good. In 2013, he was the rookie of the year, finished third in Cy Young. And then in 2016, he was an all-star and finished seventh in Cy Young. The middle two years, he pitched 50 and 64, 51 and 64 innings respectively um obviously had some injury issues those years so really were not complete years so i just couldn't ultimately go with the guy who made 76 starts for the team when there was a more viable more viable option yeah i can agree with that so like i said i was with you on yelich and i was with you on giancarlo stanton who just had some monster seasons before he he left for the yankees or before they they traded him so and were you were you good with Cabrera as a third baseman? Yeah, I don't know where else you would have gone with that. Who who were some of the other? Well, you could have put if if you if you had to put Cabrera in. If, I mean, he played two of his years in Florida. He was a full time third baseman. If you were going to say no, he needs to be an outfielder. Then I would have put him in there instead of Yelich and probably slid uh, Mike Lowell in there, but. I think if you if you're good with Cabrera at Cabrera definitely needs to be on the team. So if he's good at third, then I'm good with him at third. So by my math, did you say you had Hanley Ramirez at short? I did. I believe that leaves this catcher, first base, and the third outfielder where we differ. It does. The only other thing I would say is that I I was tempted to try and see if I could get Luis Arias Luis Arias on there, who's I in his first year with the team, second baseman who uh 
is currently hitting 376. Everybody thought he might hit 400. He leading the lead in hits, leading the league in batting average and on base. If he maybe were to put up, if he'd been with the team a year and a half, I might have tried to find a place for him, but or, h- half a season. To be honest, if, if we were doing this in November, yeah, exactly. and he ends up hitting, you know, but yeah. It's kind of like when we did our Mount Rushmore quarterbacks a few years back and Brady was in his first year with Tampa and it was like, we're literally saying like, okay, a week later, we might feel better about putting him on. So it, when, when mm. you talk about current guys who haven't been around so long. All right. So I'm willing to give in at first base without much argument. Derek Lee instead mm. of Conine. Derek Lee, six years with the team. Conine, eight. Wars are similar uh, now in a few more years, but. Lee is 9.9 and six. Conine is 13.7 in eight. I think I'm willing to give in on Conine there because first of all, he was on both of their world championship teams. I believe he was the only one he was on the team and then he left for Baltimore and then they brought him back in 2003 as a, a bench player for the stretch run. So I'm good with Kona. I think he was also their first ever all-star for, for whatever that might be worth. Let me just double check on that real quick. While I'm doing that outfield, I did not have Gary Sheffield. Oh no. And he actually wasn't, I'm sorry. He was not an all-star in 93. So I don't know. I don't know who their all-star would have been in 1993. Let me just see if I can just, now I'm curious. Let me see if I can figure out who that. Yeah, and, and while you're doing that to me, that was kind of the deciding factor was it was close. And my first blush, I was like, Oh, Derek Lee was a better player, like just on name value. But then I looked and I'm like, these numbers are closer. Conine seems to have the edge in most of them. And to be honest, he's Mr. Marlin from that standpoint. Not that that should be the be all and end all, but when it's close and like you said, he was on both of their championship teams, even though he was gone most of the middle of it, that was sort of what put it over the line for me. So they actually had two all-stars that year. One was a pitcher named Brian Harvey. And the other was the guy we're going to talk about right now and Gary Sheffield and Sheffield was traded from the Padres to the Marlins mid season. So he, some of his all-star numbers may have, you know, came with the came with the, San Diego, but he did start at third base representing the Florida Marlins in the MLB all-star game. I did not have Gary Sheffield. I went with Cliff Floyd and I think sort of for some, some, maybe some of the same reasons. I, I think I, I did associate Cliff Floyd more with the Marlins, even though now that I'm, I'm sort of looking at it here, Floyd six years with the Marlins and I think he might have even Floyd might have even come back. Did, did he no. no, he didn't. He he didn't go back. I'm sorry. Ninety seven to two thousand two, and then Sheffield six years. Um, yeah, I mean Sheffield had some monster years. Let me just look at batting average here. Sheffield two eighty eight, Floyd two ninety four. You know, home runs one hundred and ten for Floyd and. 122 for Sheffield. That's close. War 16-9. Actually lower for Sheffield, 13-2. Sheffield was a bigger player on the the championship team. I don't know if that maybe uh maybe pushes it over the edge, but I don't know. I, I'm I really feel like I could go either way on this one. Yeah. <sighs> I could as well. I mean, 
what you laid out there would lead me towards sticking with Sheffield, but it's not, you know, I'm kind of squishy on it, to be honest. Yeah, I don't usually like to do this, but maybe this is where we do sort of defer to the fact that Sheffield is a much better all-time player, you know, not just with the Marlins. Mm. Sort of all else being equal, which as I just spelled out, all else is kind of equal. So, yeah, we can do Sheffield. Let's go with Sheffield. So that would just leave... uh, Catcher. Catcher. Who did you have? I went with catcher, Avon Pudge Rodriguez. You can make a case for this. Yeah, he played only half of a season with the. And by the way, I've mentioned this before. Um, uh, Tom Stone now taking the field. Baseball's all-time dream teams for all thirty franchises. That's a a book that I picked up and read a couple years back. That I draw on a lot. And he, and he it's exactly what. You, this title says it is it's all-time teams for all 30 franchises here is what pudge rodriguez did in just his basically half a season with the florida marlins he was a quiet i know i think actually he was on the team the whole year he wasn't even yes whole year 144 games how did he was did he come there directly from texas yes that must have been a trade then. Let me look that up. I I I always thought of him as a midseason. Oh no, it was a free agent. He signed oh, interesting. A, he signed a one-year free agent contract. Interesting. In that season with the Marlins, like you said, he catches 144 games, bats 297 with 85 RBIs. Actually, doesn't win a Gold Glove. The guy wins what 11 Gold Gloves in his career, 13 Gold Gloves in his career. That's not one of them but first of all that marlins team which is the last marlins team to really do much of anything i know they've kind of snuck into the playoffs once or twice but that was a team with a very sort of young and inexperienced pitching staff dontra willis was 21 josh beckett who won game six of the world series against the yankees 23 brad penny 25 the, the great carl pavano was 27 so you have to figure just having a guy like him with that pitching staff made a big difference. And then he had just a monster postseason. And I just let me grab his his postseason stats here. Okay. So he's MVP of the 2003 NLCS against the Cubs. And that's the favorite famous uh Steve Bartman mm-hmm. season. And I, I want to do an episode later this year to coincide with the playoffs on a the 2003. MLB postseason 20 years later. So many interesting stories there. 321 with 10 RBIs in seven games. And then 2003, or sorry, in the in the NLDS, four games, six RBIs, a home run, 353 batting average. Um, and I'm going to get a little New York centric here for a second. You've obviously heard the the famous rant that Mad Dog Russo went on when the Giants lost to the Marlins in 2003, mm. and he's yelling, "Can you beat the Florida Marlins one time?" And he's talking about <laughs> how he he doesn't care how many I don't care how many awards I win or how many kids I have. I'll give it all back <laughs> for a Giants championship. <laughs> um, he had lost 
series the year before. Yeah. And he's going through and he's like, not to mention 93 Bush Stadium. Just like, listen, it's a, it's a great rant if you haven't heard it. But if you listen to that whole clip on YouTube, they're talking Russo and Francesa. And one of the things that Francesa says is we thought a Hall of Famer was going to dominate this series. And one did. It just wasn't Barry Bonds. It was Pudge Rodriguez. So mm. I think, I mean, Charles Johnson or JT Real Muto didn't do anything so amazing with the with the um, Marlins in their time there. I feel like this is the basketball, I'm sorry, the baseball version of Kawhi. Where the I was one- just about to, I was just about to invoke that, which is it's a tall bar to climb to get a guy who was only on the team for a year. It almost always has to include a championship, but I think you made, you, you definitely made the case here. I agree. All right. So apologies to Charles Johnson, who was a good player in his, in his day, but I think we are going to go with Pudge Rodriguez. So, and also Pudge is there for Texas. He will probably make another appearance in one of the, in a later episode. Possibly. Yeah. All right. So Pudge Rodriguez, Jeff. I was talking about the Yankees, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, that was the 2008, that last season in the old Yankee Stadium. And all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, Pudge Rodriguez is on the team. Okay. Richie Um, Sexton. Was he on the team? Richie Sexton? Yeah. That's right. I remember now that you mentioned that. Good Lord. So anyway, Pudge Rodriguez, Jeff Conine, Luis Castillo, Miguel Cabrera, Hanley Ramirez, Mike Giancarlo Stanton, Kristen Yelich. Gary Sheffield and Dontrell Willis for the Florida Marlins. All right. So we're down to the last two. And these are the oldest two. The the Braves go all the way back to the National Association in 1871 as the the Boston, uh, Boston Red Stockings and the Phillies go back to the 1880s. Um, Why don't we go with the Boston Red Stockings? I believe. (laughs) Why don't we go with Atlanta? Uh, which was prior to that, like I said, was the the Boston. Um, well, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll just get it for you. Hold on here. Um, the current franchise that is the Atlanta Braves uh, is the oldest continuous team in Major League Baseball. Through the years, they have been the Boston Red Stockings, Boston Red Caps, Boston Bean Eaters, Boston Doves, Boston Rustlers. That lasted one year. Boston Braves. Then in the late 30s, they were the Boston Bees before returning to the be the Boston Braves in 1941. Milwaukee Braves for about 13 years. And then since 1966, they have been the Atlanta Braves. And I am going to give you my starting nine for them. And that consists of Joe Torrey at catcher, Freddie Freeman as first base, Rabbit Moranville at second base, Eddie Matthews at third. Johnny Logan at short and a player from the Braves of the fifties outfield. I went with Hank Aaron, Andrew Jones and Dale Murphy. And my pitcher was Warren Spahn. And there's probably some places there where you've got some, I mean, one really stands out and there's a couple others that are probably tough. So give me your thoughts. Was so you had rabbit Marinville at second base. Was that wrong? I believe he was a shortstop. I'm going to pull up his stats. Um, in an instance like this, I'd be inclined to think you were correct, but I did uh, 
let me see what we have here. I'm going to pull up his uh, games by position here. Appearances. Yeah, he never played second base. He played, well, 1924 in Pittsburgh, he played second base. And I guess the very end of his career, when he was 40 and 41 years old, I mean, he pretty much was entirely a shortstop. Here's what's interesting. This book, again, this Tom Stone book that I've talked about so many times, I used it and he had Moranville at second base. And I looked at it and I was like, ah, oh, Moranville's a Hall of Famer. That that looks good to me. I must not. I, I read the book five years ago and I hadn't looked at it really, you know, haven't actually read it since I've looked at it plenty of times. I didn't look down to the the, the explanation where he says, I decided to do something I rarely do in this book and include a player at his second base position <laughs> at his at his secondary position. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're not comfortable with that, he he doesn't sound like he was ever really a regular second baseman. Who do you have at short? I had Johnny Logan at shortstop. He played from 51 to 61, a four time all star. Nobody who was he wasn't really any great shakes, but um, well, that was well, who let I me had. Give you, let me give you this then: we make Rabbit Marinville the shortstop, and at second base we can put Ozzy Albies in there. Who, yeah, he's only twenty six years old, but he is already a three time All Star. He's won the Silver Slugger twice. He's, I'm guessing, probably already on his way to surpassing uh, Johnny Logan's career, even though he's only been in the league for seven years. I can check his war. If you can get um, Logan's war up, I can see if where they are already on that. Logan's at 35.4 in 35 in 13 seasons with the Braves. All right. And Albies is at 19. Seven seasons. So now, who knows if guys stick around in this day and age, but yeah, I mean, he'd be on pace to do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine to do that. I'm fine to do that. So he, Marinville really for the bulk of his career was a shortstop. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Um, We're close. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, so we there's only one other disagreement to sort out, but I had Freeman, Albies, Marinville, Eddie Matthews. I looked for a way to make either Eddie Matthews or Chipper Jones, something else. There's really not in any meaningful way. Yeah. But I mean, you could put Chipper in the outfield. The guy played what? I mean, how, he played some full seasons in the outfield. Two very thousand, few. 2002, 2003. I guess it was just those two seasons. Who was it that they signed that year? It was somebody. I mean, obviously it was somebody well known because he wouldn't have done it otherwise. Vinny Castilla. That's right. Um, so, so again, that was the one I most tried to do something with, but I just, I have in parentheses here, Eddie Matthews. And then I wrote, can't make him or chipper anything else reasonably, at least yeah. in my opinion. Um, so the outfield, obviously Aaron's a no brainer, Dale Murphy, Andrew Jones pitcher. Um, I went with spawn spawn was Maddox being the only other one who does deserves some consideration. I looked at a site that sort of, I think Spawn won three Cy Youngs. Uh, and I looked at a site that retroactively awards them. Like if there had been, obviously that's not official, 
he probably should be considered a five-time Cy Young Award winner if the award existed as it does now, where guys in each league win it. So he only won one in his career, but they didn't start awarding it until he was 36 years of age or 35 years of age. And, and like then you even said, then, like, for a couple of years, it was just one, right? Correct. And the one that he won was in 1957 when it was still, uh, you know, when it was still a, a, an award for both leagues. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy. He's he's crazy. I'm just looking at his stats here. He led the league in wins one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times led the league in strikeouts four times four times in a row in the late 40s and early 50s what about era here let me take a look where is his um where's the ERA? leads the league in era only twice three times three times including in 1961 at 40 guy goes 21 and 13 with a 3.02 era to lead the lead lead the national league in era so he's the winningest left-handed pitcher in history so it's got to be you're right the other two are you know glavin and smoltz are hall of fame level pitchers maddox is the only one who gets to that sort of next upper echelon alongside Mm -hmm. the, the kofaxes and the walter johnsons and those guys but you're right. It's got to be Spawn. We every year, and I'm sure we'll do it again this year. We talk about how maybe Andrew Jones should belong in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he's ever going to get there, but I mean, I guess you probably, given the fact that Chipper played very little outfield and Andrew Jones played almost exclusively outfield, I'm guessing that's we probably want to stick there, especially since we both had it. So the only other disagreement we had was a catcher. I, which kind of pains me a little bit, but I did go with Brian McCann instead of Joe Torrey. I think Joe Torrey's career was better, but I think the MVP he won was when he was with St. Louis, right? Correct. Brian McCann was an all-star from 2006 through 2011, and then again in 2013 as a Brave. He was the Braves' starting catcher for... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. He was a brave starting catcher for eight straight years. Was an all star in six of those, seven of those years. War as a catcher. I mean, he also had obviously with a catcher the power, but over twenty home runs every year. Batting average, you know, generally in the two fifty to two eighty range. His career, his war with the Braves was. Let's see, war with the Braves was. 32 right and that's the whole career i think it was 23 23 yeah 24.5 tories was 33.3 in nine years just with the braves it was that yeah all right i'm not going to argue too passionately against joe tory because i obviously love joe tory so i'm fine going with him now, I just, if we and it, it's kind of even when we talk about which one did more for the Yankees in their career, right? Tory and Brian McCann. Who was I always think I didn't hate Brian McCann as a Yankee. Then I remember I'm thinking of Russell Martin. He was think, fine as a Yankee. I don't think there's anything to hate about Brian McCann. I just think no, there's no, another one of those was just, yeah, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'll uh. I'll, I'll I'll go with Tory there. Like I said, it's sometimes I wonder if I'm overcorrecting my uh, like biases, you know. The only other thing I should mention is that there are 
a couple of actually there's only one because there's another there's another 19th century guy that we'll talk about in in a future episode but there's a degree to which maybe if you were going to consider all eras equally that maybe kid Nichols should get some consideration (laughs) as the starting pitcher pitch with the Braves from 1890 to 1901 he was 11 seasons with the Braves 329 and 183 now, pitcher war is strange, and pitcher war is especially strange when you start talking about the 19th century, but he's got a war of 108.6 with the Braves, and that's ahead of 99 from Spawn, 90 from Necro, and then Smoltz, Maddox, and Glavin are all in like the 60s, low 70s. He's a Hall of Famer, led the NL in wins for three years in a row. Um Won 297 games in the decade of the 1890s, which is a record for pitchers in the decade. So this is a tough franchise for Kid Nichols to have been on Mm -hmm. because there are plenty of franchises, even franchises that go back to the 19th century that Kid Nichols would clearly be the starting pitcher for. It's just tough that he has to go against a guy who won more games than him, which is hard to do for a guy who won 329 games and also, you know, is is the greatest left-handed winner, winning pitcher of all time. And then, you know, obviously you got some. Incidentally, I know we're just doing I know we're just doing one pitcher, but this is just a a theoretical starting rotation for an all-time Braves team. Kid Nichols, Warren Spahn. And then Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. And that doesn't even count Phil Necro, who was is a 300-game winner in and, of itse- in and of himself and was the leader of some decent enough Braves team. So, I don't know. Conversation for another day. But you could argue that the Braves might have the best pitching, especially the best starting pitching in the history of Major League Baseball. I wouldn't be opposed to a guy like that as the pitcher, just not over Warren Spahn. You know what I no. mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Interesting anecdote I see here. It says in October 1952, the 83-year-old Nichols was admitted to Menorah Hospital in Kansas City to investigate a complaint with his neck. Doctors ordered tests, but Nichols would not submit to them until after the seventh game of the World Series ended. So I guess the Yankees and the Dodgers, you know, give the guy a guy who had been retired for 50 years still uh, being interested. <laughs> Well, he obviously wasn't one of those guys who thought, oh, it's not the same as it was in my day. So, uh, <laughs> just a- all right. So, our starting lineup for the Braves Joe Torre, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, Eddie Matthews, Rabbit Moranville, Hank Aaron, Andrew Jones, Dale Murphy, and Warren Spahn. All right. So, we got one left, and that's the Philadelphia Phillies who have been, first of all, they've been many different things. Um, They've had some different names, including in the 1950, early 1940s, right around the World War II era, mm-hmm. making an attempt to try and um, become the Philadelphia Blue Jays, which was a, a short-lived experiment. Uh, and they were also, in the 1880s, they were known as the Quakers, as well as well, the Phillies. It's weird, because like we, you talked about before, you said, oh, the... Uh, the Braves who were known as the Red Stockings, which like you go, oh, the Red Stockings, that must have been the Red Sox. And the Chicago White Stockings became the Chicago Cubs. Sort of in that history, the Phillies in the 1870s were known as the Philadelphia Athletic Stockings. That's not true. 
that's not as far as you know. Okay. The other thing that's interesting is for a team that played uh, for about 50 years at a stadium or a ballpark called the Baker Bowl, it's amazing they were never the Bakers. Like in 1912, the Philadelphia Bakers, that just seems like it would have happened. They were the Quakers, but not the Bakers. So who knows? The Baker Bowl and Shibe Park were actually very close to each other, by the way, I found out. Shibe Park was right down Broad Street, kind of south of Temple, where I, by where I went to school, and the Baker Bowl was not that far west from that, so or east, I think. So they were actually pretty close to each other. So I think that we might have the opportunity here. This might be a time where I I push for some 19th century guys, but uh, it's your turn. So I'll let you start it off and then I'll take it from there. All right. So I have a catcher. I have Darren Dalton. First base, Ed Delhanty. Second base, Chase Utley. Shortstop, Jimmy Rollins. Third base, Mike Schmidt. And then in the outfield, I have Dick Allen, Richie Ashburn, Chuck Klein, and then the pitcher is Steve Carlton. Okay, we're we're remarkably close. See, we get this pause, and I'm like, oh, I've done something stupid. That's no. the thing. You... Go ahead. All right, so let's get this out of the way first. You had uh, Ed Delahanty, who's a Hall of Famer, uh, who died mysteriously in the early 20th century, but was a great... The, the outfield for the 1890s Phillies featured three future Hall of Famers, one of whom was Ed Delahanty. So you had him at first base, and you had Dick Allen in the outfield. Mm-hmm. I had both of those. I just had it flipped. I had Dick Allen at a- first base and I had Delahanty in the outfield. So it's we're on the same page there. But both of them are justifiably at either of them, right? I think Allen's probably better suited at first base, but I don't know that it really, really matters. The book I have has Allen at first and Delahanty in the outfield. So, so we, that became a huge thing. And we were arguing <laughs> about Ed Delahanty's defense. <laughs> So I was with you on Ashburn and your third outfielder was Chuck Klein. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me, I, I, I was, I did, I disagreed with you on that outfield spot and I disagreed with you at catcher. Let's talk about catcher first. I actually had put uh Jack Clements who was a, a pitcher for them or a catcher rather for them in the 1800s, 14 seasons with a 289 batting average and, He's better than Dalton in basically every category other than home runs in his time with the Phillies. So I, I was when I originally wrote this down, I was I was sort of eager to push for Jack Clements. I actually think that I want to sort of call a little bit of an audible here. And I think I want to push for JT Real Muto, who's now been with the team for five years he everybody thought he was going to leave at the end of uh i think it was at the end of the 21 season i, I could i could be a year mm-hmm. off there everybody thought he was going to leave he had he ended up re-signing with the phillies he's been been an all-star with them twice he's won a gold glove with them twice he's widely considered right now as one of the best catchers in baseball he was the catcher on the team that made it to the world series last year so Maybe a little bit of recency bias, but I actually think that maybe based slightly on what we think he might do in the future, I think I want to push for JT Real Muto a little bit. Yeah, he's only in his fifth year with the team, but he's been an all-star. Um, last year, he won a gold glove. He won a gold glove in 2019 as well. Spent the first couple of years with Miami. Actually, I saw some places that made an argument for him as the Marlins catcher. So did I. Uh, yeah. I mean, Dalton, I, I don't think that Darren Dalton was any great shakes. I think, to be honest, I might have been looking at things that 
were written too long ago for Real Muto, but weren't going as far back to consider uh, Clement. So mm-hmm. I I am fine with Real Muto. I think he's you know probably not very far off from becoming the all time catcher, sort of from an undisputed standpoint. So uh, yeah, I I'm uh, I'm totally fine with Real Muto there. And your other outfielder was Chuck Klein, right? Yes. All right. Let me give a little bit of background on Chuck Klein, who's in the Hall of Fame. Most of his career with the Phillies, and he uh, on on his career he has a fifteen years with the team, so he plays with the team for for a very long time. Thirty four point nine WAR, bats three twenty six with two hundred forty three home runs. So that that's a heck of an output in in 15 years with the Phillies plays on pretty much uniformly bad teams. So never really has any big moments or big. Yeah. Those those are teams that were winning 50 games a year for a lot, a lot of the time in the fifties for, I'm sorry, in the thirties and forties, that's a whole other story, but the idea. Yeah. Philadelphia baseball in the (laughs) forties. is If you look thirties and forties in Philadelphia baseball is it's ghastly. Yeah, and it's amazing sometimes to think that it was the A's who left, and the and we've probably touched on this on the podcast before that it was the A's who left and the Phillies who stayed. Given that the A's had actually done something, even if it had been a little little while, so, um, so I went back to the eighteen nineties for my other outfielder as well, and that was sliding Billy Hamilton, who played with the Phillies for six years. In six years, he had a 36.4 war. So higher war in six years than Klein had in 15. Now, he steals 510 bases in those six years. He's always somewhere between 97 and 111. Leads the league in runs three times. Scores 198 runs. I think that might still be the all-time record for runs scored in a season. I, I could I could look that up. Um, hits 360 in those six years. Now it's an offensive heavy era, but I, I kind of pushed for sliding Billy Hamilton. If we're going to go back, let's go way back to a guy who was one of the great players of his era. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, we're probably not going to have a ton of opportunities to put real early 19th century guys or Yes, 19th century. I, for a second, I thought I said 18th century. Yes, we definitely won't have any time for them. Um, yeah, I, I, especially if we're going to take the other one out, if we're going to take, uh, what was his name, Lord? Lord Chuck Klein. Uh, Chuck, no, the, the guy, the catcher. Oh, Jack Clements. But yeah, no, so if, if we're going to take Clements out, I think, you know, it'd be a crime to have less than two guys who played in the 1880s for the Phillies on there, so... You know what? Yeah, I I I can go with um I can go with uh what was his name? Tin Can Potter. Sliding Billy Hamilton. Sliding Billy Hamilton. Okay. That's not the same guy who was on the Reds like 10 years ago, right? No, but I remember reading articles and it was basically like this is the same player 120 years later because it was like a guy who was just a crazy base stealer. And it was like, isn't it crazy how two of the biggest base stealers in baseball history now that the, the, the modern day Billy Hamilton ended up flaming out pretty quick, but everybody kind of noticed that interesting <clears throat> parallel. So our Phillies lineup, JT Real Muto, Ed Delahante, or I'm sorry, JT Real Muto, Dick Allen, Chase Utley, Mike Schmidt, Jimmy Rollins, Rishi Ashburn, Ed Delahante, sliding Billy Hamilton and Steve Carlton 
interesting to note that probably the best of the three of that infield of the, you know, the two thousands that won the championship was Ryan Howard. And he's the one of the three that, that doesn't make it on, but uh, mm-hmm. so be it. So I think it's time to, to do our top five here to, to rank our five. And I think we're pretty, pretty well. I think we can say, even though the lineup is not awful, I think the Marlins are five, right? The Marlins are five, but to be honest, for a franchise that's only been around 30 years and has been largely terrible, they're not as far into the five compared to a couple of these teams or one specifically, but I would agree. The Marlins would be five. Marlins are five, and then I got to say the Mets are four. Hey, the Mets are clearer the Marlins, but they ain't clearer the Marlins by that much. When you look at this, I mean, Edgardo Alfonso at second base, Jose Reyes at shortstop, Mookie Wilson in the outfield. To be honest, on the balance of his career, Daryl Strawberry in the outfield. The Mets would be four, in my opinion. Yeah, you have a lot of guys who you look at them and they're like, okay, you know, like they they were very good, but they were also had flaws. You know, Strawberry, obviously, the drugs and stuff and some injuries kind of cut his career short. Beltran was good, but he didn't win as much as they wanted him to. And also some of his better years with with other teams. Keith Hernandez, great defensive player, but even him, some of his better. And I think Hernandez won an MVP, I think, with St. Louis. So, you know, his best years were with the Cardinals, some could argue. So there's a lot of guys other than Seaver that you look at and it's like, okay, they were good, maybe great, but not all with the Mets and maybe not as good as they should have been. So... I mean, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I feel like you could really kind of make a case for this Nationals team not to be as not to be third. I mean, I don't know. Where do you want to go with this? Because I'm kind of I'm a little baffled here. Well, I guess if you do this and you look at who are the best, who's the best player on either of these Phillies or Nationals teams, I'm assuming you're talking about the Phillies a second, right? If it's not, if it's not the net, to spoil it and go out of order, the Braves are probably going to be number one, right? You know, I think they are, Mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily know that it's as much of a runaway as you would think. I mean, over the Expos Nationals team? Well, I mean, take it position by position. I mean, it, okay, so Gary Carter, Joe Torre, JT Real Muto. Who's going to the Hall? Carter's in the Hall of Fame. Torre's in as a manager. I don't think Real Muto makes it to the Hall of Fame. First base is Zimmerman, Freeman, and uh, Dick Allen. Now, Dick Allen should be in the Hall of Fame, and I think we're not doing one. this prop. You're not doing this properly. Why the, are you wait? Are, I'm sorry. You're who are you talking? You're doing the Phillies against two now. I'm doing bo- all three of them. Okay, who's the best player of of any of those three teams? Any of those guys on those three teams is the best player. I think most people would say Aaron. I would probably say Schmidt, but it's very it's real close. It's one of those two. Okay, then who's the third best player? Um, who's the third Lord best? Spawn? Or Steve Carlton? Well, we're counting pitchers. It's probably one of the pitchers. Yeah, it's probably one of the pitchers. And then, okay, let's say they're three and four in some order. Then you go down to Eddie Matthews. Who on that Phillies team or who on that Expos Nationals team is on the level of Eddie Matthews? I think Scherzer is. 
And I think you could say Bryce Harper could be someday. Not with the Nationals, though. His Nationals career has come to a conclusion. That's a fair point. Okay. So, all right. Okay. So maybe, maybe it's close. Well, here's the thing. That might be a strike. That might be a tick in the Phillies case. <laughs> That's a good point. He might be beating out old, uh, old Dixie, uh, Dixie Southern or whatever the guy's name was in the, in the Phillies. Sliding Billy Hamilton and you'll not disparage him any further. Um, yeah. I mean, how, how would you rank it? Cause I'm like, I'm really sort of, torn here i go braves one phillies two nationals expos nationals three i agree it's close i agree here here's the here's the 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 one that sinks it for me if you want to be charitable could you argue that the nationals are one two or three i think yes could you argue that the phillies are one two or three i think yes could you argue this Braves team is any lower than two? I think no. I don't think there's a scenario where you can roll the dice and come up with the Phillies third or with the Braves third here. Probably not, but it's close. Here's what I would say. Rabbit Moranville is widely considered to be one of the weakest Hall of Famers in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was one of those sort of Veterans Committee guys who a lot of people think didn't deserve it. Ozzy Albies is lost a race to a turtle because he was overconfident. Yeah. Would you stop? Ozzy <laughs> Albies at second base was, you know, he's 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 had a nice little career so far, but there's no guarantee that he's going to be a great player. And then if you look at pitcher, Steve Carlton is probably he I, I would be willing to bet I, I don't have it right in front of me that Carlton is probably the second winningest left-handed pitcher of all time. It's probably either him or Randy Johnson would be my guess. And and Scherzer's going to the Hall of Fame and not he's not going to squeak in either Max Scherzer. Then like we said, then if you assume Bryce Harper goes to the Hall of Fame, which I think you can assume, you've got one, two, three, four, five guys on that Nationals team who are going to be in the Hall of Fame. The Braves have I mean, I guess Freeman maybe goes. He's probably got some work to do. Albies, who knows? And Andrew Jones probably never gets in. And then on Philly, Rollins and Utley are never going to the Hall of Fame. And and who knows about Real Muto? So I, I really think that you can go in a bunch of different directions with these. My only point, and I guess maybe you want to say that like a lot of these guys on the national team, here's maybe what clinches it. Carter had a lot of his great years with the Mets. Andre Dawson had a lot of his great years with the Cubs. Reigns left and went other places. Scherzer was on Detroit for a while at the beginning. Obviously, Harper has left. So, okay, maybe the fact that a lot, unlike in, you know, Aaron, his whole career was basically the Braves. Same with Matthews. Same with Dale Murphy. Same with Warren Spahn. And then even in Philly, obviously, Schmidt, Ashburn, Dick Allen's great years. He had some other, I think he was MVP, was with the White Sox. But his best years were with the with the Phillies, uh, Steve Carl, well, Steve Carl was kind of mixed. So I just got to say it is really, really close. And I think it's, it's close between the two, but I think it's close between the three also. So that's my thought. I would agree with you. And I, I'm willing to say the Phillies and the Expos nationals teams are tied for second. Cause it doesn't really matter that much, but I think we do have to give the nod to the Braves. Mm-hmm. I think also the, the bottom of the Braves is much stronger than the bottom of the other two teams. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. All right, so Braves 1, Phillies 2, Nationals 3, Mets 4, 
Marlins five, and that is an impressive showing by the by a franchise that's not really known as one of the historically great franchises. So, um, all right. So now let me uh, ask right, you so, this: Go Are ahead. We going go. to just bank all six of these and then pick the best team from each league, or do we try to want to try to slot the Braves in against the Cardinals now? Probably better to do it at the end, right? We'll we'll do it at the end. Yeah, we'll do it at the end. Okay. All right. So this was fun. We are halfway there, three down, three to go. And next up uh, will be the American League Central. And until then, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. With every race, every qualifying run, and every pit stop, Tim Coffeen would feel the pressure and excitement. With his own podcast on the Sports History Network called Tim Coffeen Talks IndyCar and Racing History, Tim will share those very same racing emotions and memories with his listeners. Learn, laugh, and enjoy the world of IndyCar racing through the eyes of Tim Coffeen. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.